you join me yet again in the uh, Milking It Mansion. I'm just relaxing in the library once again with a fat Cuban cigar and a beautiful glass of brandy as I listen to the second ever episode of Milking It. The first one's been a great success and here we are with episode two. So sit back, relax, pull up a chair and enjoy this wonderful discussion of all things that are geek. I've got the Welcome to the Milking It Podcast, episode two, tugging on the teat of popular culture until it explodes all over your face. I'm David Davis. And I'm Boo Lamont. And we're here for mm. a second time. Can you imagine the, the wonder and excitement in our voice? Must, must, it, it betrays us, really. because we When could, we met Dave, could you imagine we'd have two episodes of a podcast? Two whole episodes. And people have listened to the first one. <laughs> Why? We don't know, but we'll find out. Um... <laughs> Absolutely. I can give you, uh, as we're sitting here now on a very lazy, beautifully sunny uh, Sunday afternoon where I am. Let's have a look at the statistics. Clickety click. Uh, currently, we are for the whole year, <laughs> which has been one month. Um, we are on just over 230 downloads of the first episode, which is absolutely brilliant. Thank you to everyone that actually bothered to download and, and have a listen. And for all the critiques, really appreciate it. And we're, we're glad you enjoyed the first episode. So, And here we are for the second one. So it's got to be working. Completely. And I think that we, we, we stick with what we know. We dance with who brung us to the dance, dance or yes. whatever they say. Uh, and uh, we just continue doing exactly the same sort of thing, really. It's just, it's just a general chit chat. It's geek culture. We're, if you will, destroying your gloom from our family's spare room. Um, we are literally talking about... <laughs> Lots of chatting from the attic. There we go. <laughs> Uh, so basically, we're just going to be talking about this, that and the other. Uh, it's anything that's happened during the week that we've seen. Uh, it, it, basically, we're talking in a podcast the way that we would be messaging each other on Facebook had we have seen these things occurring. Um, but you get the pleasure of sitting there and uh, listening to us chit chat. We're eavesdropping, but, we are, but you are more than welcome. So, yeah, uh, you, you're following us um, on Facebook, which is uh, Facebook forward slash milking it. You can follow us on the uh, much underused Twitter, which we will get back on top of, I promise, yes. uh, which is at Teak Tuggers. Um, but the most important thing is we're now on iTunes. That's exciting, isn't it? We've joined the crazy world of iTunes. Our first episode's up there. So rate and review us. It really helps us because the more uh, good positive reviews we get, it kicks us up the list and more people get to listen to us. We can expand the milking it universe and one day we'll take over. Alternatively, tell us what we're doing wrong and we will change. We can change. We can we change. Can we're, so change. So, we're so sorry. We can change. Don't leave us. Please. I'm so lonely. Oh, dear. It's not a joke. So some sad news uh, to start off this uh, Milking It podcast, because obviously we do cover, uh, run the full gamut of stuff here. Uh, and that's that uh, one of my comedy heroes, David Frost, died today, uh, age 74. 
Uh, we're not sure whether it's tied in with the fact that he did uh, see the uh, first ever episode of the Keith Lemon through the keyhole last night. That may have affected his uh, dodgy old ticker. But uh, that's a conspiracy theory that only Jesse Ventura could look into. Uh, so David Frost, uh, as we say, has, has passed away really sad at 74 uh, from a heart attack. Apparently he was uh, out on a cruise ship. Um, but the guy was uh, extremely important in terms of comedy and extremely important in the comedy that has influenced me uh, to get where I am. For those of you who don't know, uh, I did say in the last episode, but I'll, I'll new readers start here moment. Uh, I am a writer and performer. I've done stand up. I've, I've written comedy for, for many, many years uh, alongside my uh, normal life. Um, but he, he was uh, one of those guys who, when I looked back, uh, I, I started by listening to the goons because uh, my, my grandfather had loads of goons records and I got to listen to them. And I, I was a big, massive fan of the goons. So coming off the back of the goons was the satirical sort of boom in the 60s. And one of the main guys behind that was David Frost. It was uh, D- David Frost and Peter Cook. And obviously they had the rivalry over the years and everything else. But uh, David Frost, for many people now, probably don't realize quite how important he was with comedy um for us we know him as someone on breakfast tv interviewing politicians uh, uh, during the 80s and 90s and obviously he's extremely famous uh, as the the film proved for having influence uh, for having influence for having uh, interviewed richard nixon uh, which was an amazing set of uh, of interviews that he did where he got Nixon to admit that he had lied to the American people, which back in the day was a surprise. Now we expect it from our politicians. But uh, he, he genuinely was. Uh, Peter Cook always always sort of said the uh, the worst thing he ever did was uh, was rescue David Frost from drowning. But uh, I, I would say that David Frost was uh, genuinely one of the most influential people that's ever been involved in the world of comedy, especially getting satire and comedy on TV, because he, re- he really did challenge. And as, as part of that was the week that was um, and various other sort of satirical shows that he was involved with in the 1960s. Uh, really, really changed changed the face of comedy and um, it launched the television careers of people like John Cleese, uh, Ronnie Barker, Ronnie Corbett, just the, the, the writing team that then became Monty Python um, that were all they they all started they all cut their teeth working for David Frost so it, it cannot be understated as to how important this guy was and I, I really hope that over the next few weeks people get to see stuff that they haven't seen before when I know when the BBC and ITV etc when they play those uh, sort of uh, obituary uh, obituary reels I really hope people get to see stuff and see exactly how important he was so I'm sorry if that's a little self-indulgent way to start the show but he, he genuinely was someone who meant a, a hell of a lot in my life uh, I look forward to seeing the class sketch uh, repeated ad nauseum for the next few uh, few weeks. <laughs> that was the most famous sketch on uh, on uh, the Frost Report. Well, it was the most famous sketch that people still remember from the from the Frost Report. But absolutely, David Frost was uh, instrumental in British comedy in the sixties. Um, absolutely, uh, John Cleese, Ronnie Barker, Ronnie Corbett, uh, Monty Python practically wouldn't exist Completely. if it wasn't for the Frost Report um, and the week that the the, uh, the week that was, you know, shows like that. So um, absolutely, uh, being self indulgent as you like, Dave, it was it was of importance. So absolutely. So uh, yep, yeah, uh, let's crack on with the rest of the show. Okay, Boo. So I want to get your um, opinion on something that happened this week. Because I know you're a big fan of the guy, and we've just been talking a little bit about comedy. And to continue the comedy uh, theme, uh, you are a big fan of Dave Chappelle. 
Oh, Dave, you're not going to ask. Yes, I am a big. Dave. I'm a huge fan of Dave Chappelle. Okay. I'm still livid. I know what you're going to ask me, and I'm mad, baby. I'm mad. Okay, so Dave Chappelle, who I know, I, I must admit, I know nothing about Dave Chappelle whatsoever. I've never watched any of his stuff. I don't, I don't know who he is. I don't know where he comes from. Everything else, which is really bad of me. I, I should have done a bit of research if we're going to present this. But um, I just know you as a big, big fan of him. I so I, I, I saw you getting very excited. You posted up on Facebook, and you were getting all up about yeah, Dave Chappelle returning to stand uh, to stand-up comedy and you know this is a massive deal it's going to be a three uh, thirty thousand seat theater that he's performing in in connecticut uh, for this particular uh, particular gig um and he actually pretty much had the worst gig he could possibly have had he, let, let's let's not let's not beat around the bush dave he was practically booed off the stage he was he was booed off the stage as soon as he completed his 25 minutes that were contractually yes, obligated absolutely. to do right because yeah he's a professional at the end of the day so he, he wasn't going to walk off or did he, that's not being a professional that's just wanting to be paid dave stay chappelle <laughs> the man has the, the okay in if we want to talk about in terms of success dave chappelle hmm. he's the second series of the dave chappelle show is the best-selling dvd of all time what is this true get on facebook forward right. slash Milky. online tell me the second series of deja is the most successful dvd okay possibly based on a tv show maybe but it is the best selling oh, dvd of all time um it's the fastest selling dvd of all time the guy like i've i, I he is so funny his sketches are so purely funny mm-hmm. and intelligent and um you know the guy is fantastic I, I don't know if you remember him he was in mel brooks's robin hood men in tights yes that that classic yes but, but if a, if a young mel if a, if mel brooks was you know willing to take a chance on a very young yeah. dave Chappelle, i mean R- richard pryor um before he died said eddie murphy always wanted to be the next richard uh pryor but he's not eddie's comedy is too mean for him to be richard pryor hmm. the, the new richard pryor is dave Chappelle. Um, okay, praise from Caesar, indeed. Yeah, he, Dave Chappelle was comedy. One of the people he works with is Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney was a co-writer with the, uh, Richard Pryor. So I mean, Dave is the, uh, the 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 successor to the throne when it comes to black comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very important because he's a he's a no nonsense taking guy. But you you want to talk about that? You want to talk about the the booing off stage? And I've 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 read a couple of articles. Yeah, basically what it is. Is there were a lot of white frat boys screaming? His most famous sketch is the Rick James sketch. It's, uh, it was a sketch on his on the second or the first series of his show, yeah. which was uh, the, the the series of sketches called Charlie Murphy's True Hollywood Stories, where Eddie Murphy's brother Charlie would mm-hmm. tell a, an actual story that was so crazy they just had to tell it. And this is an entire story about Rick James. Dave Dave plays Rick James. If you haven't seen the Rick James sketch, I, I don't want to start that whole fad again. But if you haven't seen it, go on YouTube, type in "I'm Rick James, bitch," mm-hmm. and <laughs> even that's... even I've seen that sketch, and I yeah, I know nothing about okay. Dave Chappelle. That's Dave Chappelle. Loads of people they just went there wanting to. They, as far as I was made aware by people that were there and were disappointed, a lot of people were just screaming, "Do Rick James, do Rick James, I'm Rick James, bitch." He wasn't there for that. He's there to spit truth. He's there to do a stand up. His stand up routine and his sketch routines are polar opposites. Um, so I one I'm. I'm kind of mad that people would treat Dave like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I think it's brilliant that Dave Chappelle's come back. He basically, he did a Richard Pryor. He went to Africa. He'd had enough. He quit the most successful TV show, yeah. you know, on, one of the most successful TV shows in history 
um, threw away a multi, multi, multi million dollar contract because he was worried about what he was turning into. You know, yeah. he this the and it was, those yeah, are the fifty five million dollar contract, wasn't it? That he worked away. Yes. Yeah. Who wants fifty five million dollars when you can just be yourself? Yeah. Irony. <laughs> uh, um, no, I. He's a bigger man than I. I certainly would have taken the money and and mm. and danced and and put on whatever they wanted me to do for the TV news. But he has more respect for himself than me, obviously. Uh, so <laughs> most people so, do. <laughs> but no, the the the, the burn off stage of Dave Chappelle was the most shocking news this week. Well, apart from one other thing, but uh, obviously we're going to touch on that later. But um, yeah. in the world of comedy, I found that to be the most shocking bit of news this week. Um, for for people that you know haven't heard of Dave Chappelle, please. I'm begging you, just check out the first series of the show um, or find some of his stand-up. Um, I will post some on the fa- on the Milking It Facebook group. That's facebook.com forward slash Milking It. Um, d- just, just so many decent bits of his stand-up. His sketch show is fantastic as well. He's a great comedian. It's a real shame that this has happened, and I really hope it doesn't deter Dave from uh, possibly coming over here and putting on a couple of gigs because I think you would dig in the most, Dave. I think we should definitely hit up wherever he's playing if he does come to the UK. And, and again, I really hope he does just keep cracking on because he's a fantastic comedian, one of the best. You want a milk it in you know. you got a milk it in you know. Hello. If you can hear me, then I'm probably dead. My name's Jay Hodgkin and I'm trapped in an arcade called the Sticky Floor Fun Emporium. A dungeon of mystery. Here we are then, kiddies. Uh, the third entry, Outfoxes by Namco. Uh, it was released in 1995. Uh, Outfoxes is amazing. Uh, I'm going to try and not uh, cream myself while talking to you about this. It's not a game where the player has to go foxes into confronting their parents about their same-sex relationships, unfortunately, which you might have got from the title. Uh, instead, Outfoxes is um, a proto-Smash Brothers type of game. Uh, it's a one-on-one fighting game that plays and looks a bit like a hoary old classic Rolling Thunder. Uh, you get cross-sections of view of the vehicles and uh, buildings that you fight in, and you have to kind of kill the opposing character with everything that comes to hand, be it rocket launcher, grenade, gun, sword, or even whips for those with a penchant for that kind of naughty sorcery. Each arena is incredibly dynamic. For example, on the train, you'll encounter tunnels which will require you to get into the carriage and to continue your fight there. If you don't, you'll get knocked off, and everyone will think you're an idiot, won't they? You're supposed to be an assassin. Jesus. In the skyscraper, each floor explodes from top to bottom, uh, allowing you to continue the battle on different floors, such as a diner hall, where you can have a comedy food fight where you kill people. Think of the morals of that. Never did that in any of those 70s sitcoms, did they? Uh, the playable assa- assassins themselves are pretty amazing. Among them is a failed film starlet with purple hair, a disregard for wearing much clothing, and a pet iguana that helps her out in battle. Whether this is a weird foreshadowing to Miley Cyrus's future isn't clear, uh, but I've yet to see the character in the game do the twerk thing. Twerk thing, that's so now, isn't it? Um, then we get a paraplegic Chinese scientist with a thought-controlled wheelchair that features a robotic arm that flings his useless carcass around. If he was competing at the Paralympics, he'd be the only one that people didn't find inspirational. In fact, they'd think he was a shit. 
Moving on, there are the two formerly conjoined twin children who still move as one entity in an effort to kill, further proving that twins are evil by default. Next time you see a twin stare into their eyes, you'll see nothing good there, nothing pure, just an ancient viciousness, a craving for destruction. Oh, and there's also a orangutan in a top hat and tails. And of course, the game's brilliant. Of course, because it had tiny little sprites, um, it got overlooked by the masses in favour of all those crappy polygonal Daytona and Tekel knockoffs at the time. Um, do you remember that game? Was it Primal Rage that had the dinosaurs in it that farted? It was like Mortal Kombat, but it was terrible. More people have played that than this, and that's just awful. It's got a great little comedic twist at the end. It's got brilliant music. It's a fabulous little game. It's so brilliantly original. And it's so sad that they never thought it was successful enough to release it on any of the home consoles of the time. Um, In fact, the whole situation is sadder than opening a bag and finding the corpses of loads of dead, starved puppies. I'm really upset. I'm really upset, but I'm giving this game five cigarette cigarette burns out of five because it's the only thing that makes me feel better. Anyway, enjoy the rest of the show. Um, I'm sure it's going to be as fabulous as the previous ones have been. And, uh, yeah, I'll be back next time. Bye. We are back right here with the Milking It podcast. And this week... Dave, you have got a game, or have been rinsing through a game, which I am desperate to get my hands on. Oh, um, man. I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, a little game called Saints Row 2 came out. Now, I was one of the only people at work to buy this game, and uh, hmm. I kind of bought it. Being mocked as I did by everyone behind the counter, I came in the next day and declared that the new Saints Row is better than GTA 4. I was still laughed at, and they stopped laughing when they bought the game, Dave. And I'm very pleased that they've managed to pull the series this far. This week, you have been playing what I've been told is a stunning bit of sandbox fun in Saints Row 4. Do you know what? That, that's exactly the, the word I'd use, is, is fun. It is just completely off the wall, and just it, it parodies so many games. There's an opening sequence where it literally takes the piss out of Fable, uh, with the, uh, the the thing of walking through the the corridors of power and having to choose this or that. Um, there's a, a wonderful Aerosmith moment when you're running up the side of a nuclear missile. There's uh, there's a, a whole naked section which completely parodies Gears of War. It's just perfect. It's 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 not the best looking game in the world. It's not the greatest controls in the world. It's playable. It's pickupable. It's fun. That's all you need. And it, it's literally they've taken the last game, Saints Row Three. And um, they've they've taken the steel port from that. They've put it straight in as is. So if you if you know the the outlay of that city, you're sorted. Absolutely fine. But they've completely gone against the idea of needing cars in it. So the the previous games have always been about yeah, pimp my ride and all that kind of stuff. You don't need to do that now because you've got superpowers. So the god mode is on. And a, a normal game where you have to work harder and harder and harder to level up 
that don't exist. You will level up as quickly as you were doing at level 99 as you were when you were at level one. It's literally every second or third power up you get, you level up so you can increase those statistics. You start flying, you start running up walls, you start doing mega jumps. It's just, it's literally like GTA crossed with Crackdown. Did you ever play Crackdown? Oh, indeed. We uh, we definitely played Crackdown. I played. I really like the first one. Mm. I quite like the second one, but for some reason, I don't know. I got bored a lot quicker, and I think I think they were edging for more vehicle-based stuff in the second one, whereas the first one was just to let's find as many orbs as we can, so yeah. our high jump is better. Our you know our speed is faster to run, and there was zero reason for vehicles in Crackdown. I mean, you were the vehicle that was jumping from roof to roof. That would be appeal. I mean, I, I agree with. Uh, I remember reading the IGN review of um, of, of Saint Row where they gave it a really decent score. I think it's about an, an eight out of ten, um, and they said that the the sort of street running thing that you do, which is like the super speed god mode street running, is as mm. close to confirming how good a flash game would be. So if it, literally it's if they can it make either works, yeah if they can make either the flash game or the flash TV series that's in production at the moment look like that, I'd be quite happy. That that's me sorted. That uh, my interest was already peaked when they announced it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me um being that obviously being two geeky guys we're big on the superhero stuff yeah and that we're obviously two big video game fans mm-hmm. the, the concept of the perfect sandbox superhero video game it does appeal i mean a few years ago there was the incredible hulk which came out based on the second film and that was a sandbox game where you were kind of the incredible hulk and you were given a city to run around in and i i thought that was really good fun and i thought if someone could because there wasn't much game behind it it was a film-based game i Mm. thought if someone put a really big budget into a game like this it would really sell and then all of a sudden we had infamous um Mm. what's the other one that came out at the same time prototype prototype Uh, yeah yeah. um, and they all start started coming thick and fast but um by far i've been told that this is the best one and um so i mean personally I'm i'm really looking forward to getting a copy myself um, let us know what you think about the game on the Milk and It pod, uh, Facebook group, guys. And um, any, any more on it, Dave? I mean, have you actually managed to finish it yet? No, I'm, I'm about halfway through, I think. So I, I, unfortunately, due to work and everything else, I've, I've, but I'm looking forward to jumping back into it because it, honestly, it's brilliant. The, the, the soundtrack's great. The, 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 the graphics are really cool. Just everything that's coming along. There's, there's so many little hidden Easter egg gags. It's just absolutely brilliant. I think in terms of sandbox, I think you're right. It's probably the best sandbox superhero, quote unquote, game I've played since Lego Batman 2, probably, which was absolutely amazing. And not long till Marvel Lego, uh, Marvel Heroes ah, Lego. Marvel, Marvel can suck my dick. Wowzers. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a <coughs> died in the world DC guy, so yeah, Marvel does nothing for me, sorry. But I mean, as a Lego game, it's going to have multi-multi-characters. I know, I know what you mean. I know you're coming from as a DC fan, but I played Lego Lord of the Rings. I couldn't care less for Lord of the Rings. I know, sorry, big fans of Tolkien and Middle-earth. Um, same with Pirates of the Caribbean to a degree, but I just think the Lego games are just like a little push above the rest when it comes yeah, to Yeah, they're, they're a proper guilty pleasure for people our age, I think. They, they, they are just good fun. They're easy achievements. You don't die. You can just like, march through them. And it's, it's a cute little thing to think, oh, look, yeah, it's that guy is a Lego character. But um, no, Marvel, uh, yeah. I mean, I know they're completely different games, but again, it's like sandbox they, they, they to a degree lego batman 2 was very sandbox it was sandbox you could go around the yes yes city. 
that's that's why I mentioned it. Well, of course, that ties in with what we're talking about. Yeah, that, that's how this works. We, right? don't, we don't go off on a tangent, milksters. We're uh, we're pros. Um, yes, no. Um, Saints Row Four sounds fantastic. Um, obviously, oh, yeah, jump board. It's it's really good, mate. You'll you'll absolutely love it. So what what have you been playing this week while I've been rinsing my way through Saints Row Four? I have got myself a copy of something so strange and so charming that um, it may just be one of my favourite gaming experiences of all time. Now I'm not saying it's a game, but it kind of is. But th- Was this, this Mad game... Summers or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, the game's called Gone Home. Um, it's a first-person game where it's, um, I think, I believe it's set in the mid '90s. I, I, you know, I'm not massively far into it. I've, I've given it a good couple of hours. Hmm. Basically, you, it's a first-person um, adventure type game. Uh, you are a young lady. You arrive home. I, I am not. Oh, sorry. Yes, in the game. Sorry. <laughs> I'm setting the scene. Yes, carry on. Yeah. Music. Uh, <laughs> you are a young lady. You've just come home from what I believe is college, and your family or whoever was in the house before hmm. has gone. Ooh. Now, the mechanic of the game yes. is you can literally open any drawer, any cupboard, anything you pick up, you can look at. This sounds amazing closely. so far. Go on. Again... It doesn't. It's not going to sound that interesting when I say, it, but I just recommend people go and look up "Gone Home" the video game. Um, everything in the house you can pick up and look at, and it's a perfect recreation of a house in the mid '90s. You, you go into the kids' rooms, and there are stacks of SNES games with labels you can read, and and um, you know, there's posters of the time, and it's just a real. Like everything's laid out. It's so detailed. It's hmm. ridiculous. What's, open, this, what's this on? This is a PC, PC yeah. I'm very lucky at the moment to, to have access to a fairly decent PC that I'm, I'm playing a lot of the indie games. Mm. And I mean, but, but, but in terms of just charming this game, it's, it's meant to give you a bit of the, it's meant to give you a bit of the, um, the, the goosebumps and it's, yeah. it's obviously meant to be a little bit creepy, mm. but I just find it really charming. And I, I think gone home is, um, been one of the nice, nicest looking games I've seen this year as well. Um, everything is so detailed. It's like kind of a step up in investigation games. Right. But, um, and it's the perfect antidote to Hotline Miami, which I have no doubt will end up being my game of the year. If you haven't played Hotline Miami yet, please get on it. It is it's available on everything now. I think um, it's a top down kill 'em up set in the eighties. Absolutely fantastic story. Unbelievably good soundtrack. This soundtrack is good, and I'm talking like Tron Legacy good. Wow. It's like on par with that. Um, but definitely check out Hotline Miami. Perfect antidote to Gone Home. But those are my two kind of recommendations for the week. Um, Hotline Miami is available on PlayStation, PC, and every other thing. Gone Home is a PC exclusive. But again, um, inve- investigate, guys. Find these games out, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy them. I'm a big fan of the old cartoons, my friends. And uh, Boo Lamont has a big old list in his hand, and apparently. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of a chit-chat because now's the time of year when all the cartoons start again and the new series, uh, or seasons, as I believe our American cousins call them, uh, begin. So uh, I know there's a lot of bits and pieces on the horizon. So Boo Lamont, what you got? Basically, David, I, um, I, I'm a big fan of animated shows. I'm a huge fan of American animated series, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, and everyone I know these these days is a big fan of The Simpsons. You've got Family Guy, American Dad. You've got your classics, which your stable Fox dominate, uh, animation domination Sunday night lineup, as yeah. they call it in America. But, you know, and over here, people watch 
quite happily watch two to four episodes of Family Guy a day. And um, it's just there is a huge new wave of brilliant animated shows uh, coming in from America at the moment. And I just wanted to share a few alternatives with you guys in case you hadn't heard. Because, again, everyone watches Family Guy. Everyone watches The Simpsons. Everyone knows these shows. But there is so much more going on in the world of animation. Mm. Um, First of all, um, one you do know, Dave, I wanted to talk about Robot Chicken, which is kind of... I love Robot Chicken. (laughs) Kind of along the same lines as Family Guy, uh, as in the same people are working on it. It's Seth Seth Green. Seth Green, yeah, of course. Um, Seth MacFarlane does bits and pieces for it. Uh, just a brilliant show. It's been going on for years now. It's uh, for those that don't know, it's stop frame animation, but with action figures. Mm. So there's a lot of sketch featuring GI Joe. There's a lot of sketches featuring He-Man, Thundercats, Transformers. Yeah. Um, just it's um, sorry to, to interrupt you there in mid flow. Um, the guy who's uh, done it. If anyone is a, a, a long term geek like me who used to read the uh, Wizard uh, comic book uh, sort of guide and figure guide. Yeah, yes. it's, it's the guy who used to do all of the picture, like the photo story stuff in that magazine, then took that and made it a stop motion thing. I'm so impressed, Dave, that uh, I have a semi geek boner <laughs> that you know that. Because that is exactly uh, where the idea for Robot Chicken came from. Yeah. yeah. Um, good, good on you. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> um, oh, man, you. you, you agree to do a podcast with me about geek news no, no, and, I, no, I, and you, you presume i wouldn't have known that no no that's but as, as a huge robot chicken fan i thought you know that's that's something only i know you know like the name of jabber's little mate is salacious crumb not many people know that we know that because that was what i used to call you when we worked together so <laughs> <laughs> ah. um, yeah love that guy best star wars character ever that anyway hmm. um but yeah so robot chicken highly recommended it's um it's a, bit on, it's a bit on the blue side but then so am i so um it, it's it's something you to enjoy basically a lot of these next suggestions are all from the adult swim block which is basically cartoon network's adult department yeah um currently um there is a show called super jail which is fantastic it is a show which is basically a cross between charlie and the chocolate factory mm. And the HBO series Oz. Oh wow! Um, the, the, the prison is run in a by it's a run by a wacky prison warden. It's ultra violent. It's ultra adult, and um, it is hilariously funny in places. Definitely worth checking out. That's called Super Jail. Super Jail. Uh, I'm writing that down now. Super Jail sounds great. Uh, one more, which I believe has got another series coming up, is Mary Shelley's Frankenhole. Uh, this is a tale. This again, it's a stop frame animation, um, but done with kind of paper cut out puppets. Right. It is visually beautiful. Um, it's, uh, it's about a castle. Uh, it's about a castle in a kind of limbo dimension, mm. um, and the people that live in there. Um, with the, it's a, it's obviously a, it's a Frankenstein tale, but it's it's just told so beautifully. Every episode. Um, they kind of have a, a guest celebrity come in on the show. Uh, the guy that, that, that did that show originally did um, a show called Moral Oral. So, um, again, all stop frame animation. So that's kind of like the new thing to do at the moment in these American shows. Yeah. Um, and now I, I just, just quickly want to touch on the Venture Brothers. Uh, I am bound to go on a bit about this show because it is literally my favorite television show ever made. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go on too much about the Venture Brothers but um, it's 
like a rebooted Johnny Quest. It's a story of a super scientist and his two children and their bodyguard, Brock Sampson. Obviously, as the seasons have gone along, it's changed in bits and the pieces, but um, the, the story is very involving. Mm. It's very rewarding if you actually watch the whole series, so definitely recommend, recommend The Venture Brothers. And, and then lastly, my new favourite, which is, I think, the most charming... Uh, family-based sitcom since The Simpsons, and that's Bob's Burgers, uh, now entering its fourth season. It came about out of nowhere a couple of years ago. It looked like it might do all right for a season. Right. Uh, it's um, it's by the same guy that does Archer. He also does the voice of Yoda and the guy that works in the shop in Family Guy. <laughs> um, I can't remember the character's name. But um, Bob's Burgers is... It's very much like King of the Hill. It's a very easygoing family sitcom, but it's just hilarious. The characters are fantastic. The, vo- the voices are good. The- it's well written. So, I mean, Bob's Burgers is definitely worth checking out. It's another one that's, that's really good that's on my radar at the moment. And, and these are pretty much the shows I spend most of my time watching TV. So um, it, uh, all recommended one and all for you animation heads. And Dave, definitely check out uh, a few of these because you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll dig it the most, man. Definitely, I definitely will. Um, I'll also add to that list uh, with the brand new series Beware the Batman, which has started in the States, which uh, unfortunately hasn't got a, a, a showing over here yet, but uh, is absolutely cracking. It's, it, it's all computer animated this time around. Um, ignore what you know about the amazing animated batman series from the 90s and uh they've, they've just completely revamped the whole idea of it he looks differently sleeker he's got the old big pointy ears and stuff but they've also completely destroyed the the villain base on it so yeah. th- there's no joker there's no riddler there's no penguin there's no mr freeze even they've gone uh more towards the sort of grant morrison uh professor pig stuff mr toad uh humpty dumpty's involved in it tobias whale and that kind of stuff so it it the the main bad guy is anarchy which presumably is to set it up for the new game that's out uh in october uh because anarchy is is one of the main sort of protagonists in that but honestly, it's absolutely brilliant. It, it, it is really good. The, the voice cast is absolutely brilliant. Uh, considering that you know the usual Batman cast aren't back, uh, completely got involved in it. Really enjoyed it. So, so, I, so I never, no it. Kevin Conroy, no Conroy, no uh, Mark Hamill, no Mark Hamill, uh, no um, literally the rest of them. Ah, oh, that's, that's really annoying that I couldn't bring another person to, to, to call because uh, I was going to say the person who played uh, Harley Quinn, but I can't. Uh, so I'm, 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 I'm docking myself, right? I'm docking it's myself fine, fine. one geek point there. Before we move off of animated Batman shows, mm. did you watch Batman the Brave and the Bold when it was on? Yes, yeah, I've seen yeah a few of the Brave and the Bold. I honestly thought that that was... <sighs> you can argue... Milksters around the world, I want you to argue with me on this one. I love Batman the Animated Series from the 90s. Fantastic show. Yep, I preferred amazing. Batman the Brave and the Bold. Come no. at me, people. Come at me. It no. was better. No, no, no. And no. especially the Music Meister episode, which was completely sung um, by Neil Patrick Harris and the yeah, rest that, of the cast. But that was a Absolutely. complete pastiche of the, the Buffy episode that was completely sung as well. Buffy, I think I remember that. Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Batman Brave and the Bold, fantastic. And Kevin Conroy, who, in my opinion, is a perfect Batman, which leads us neatly into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, Dave. 
Oh, man. It's going to take a while. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, strap yourselves in. It's time for the big conversation of the day. Now, a little bit of background. Last yep. week, after a, a, a great recording session with uh, with Dave, yep. we proudly, you know, we were quite proud of the show. He went to work and, um, I come, you know, everything was good. We went to sleep. Next, not together, obviously, in, in separate places. Um, the next morning, <laughs> the next morning, I awake, and what do I go? I have on my phone a text message that says, "Affleck is fucking Batman." Now, at first, I thought, why would Affleck be having sex with? Oh wait, do you mean he's playing Batman? Someone has, in their anger, had sent me a, cur- a curse to wake me up first thing in the morning to tell me that Affleck was had been selected, shall we say, to be playing Bruce Wayne in the forthcoming Batman versus Superman movie. Hmm. Dave, your thoughts on this historic bit of casting that has caused a week of aggro in the world of, of, of comic book fandom, shall we say? I, I, I genuinely could not be happier. That's my thoughts. I, I, I think it's... Don't get mad, folks. He's entitled to an opinion. No, I... <sighs> I have yet to see a convincing argument against a guy. I said, give him a give him a chance. Let him show what he can do. I've heard people say, "Oh yeah, well he was oh he was Daredevil." Yeah, well Daredevil was many many years ago, and as an actor and a performer and a director, he has progressed and advanced, and he is in a totally different way. But I can't imagine anyone would have watched Velvet Goldmine and said Christian Bale is going to be the next Batman. He's got everything you need. He's got the rookie good looks he's got the chin for a start which is more than michael keaton had there was a man who earlier this year uh, last year even was in a movie the, the, where he was very reliant on the, on his chin and that was carl urban in the remake of dread hmm. he didn't remove the helmet once um i'm not saying that the chin is paramount to the role of batman because no, when you take on is. the ro- when you take on the role of Batman, no, 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 Dave, for me, when you take on the role of Batman, the most important thing is not how you are as Batman. It's how you are as Bruce Wayne, because that is who you're seeing. Batman is Batman. Batman is a man in a mask. It doesn't matter who plays Batman. It's usually a stuntman in the fucking thing anyway. <laughs> excuse, no, 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 no. excuse the excuse the passion. Um, but he is. I, the... I, I refer you back to your previous quote of saying that. Kevin Conroy was and is Batman. And for for me, yes, completely, he is. There is no greater Batman in this world than Kevin Conroy. When I read the comic books, I hear his voice. Yeah, totally agree. Kevin Conroy himself said that Batman is Batman. The voice he does for Batman is the person who exists. So Batman is the character. He puts on a voice to become Bruce Wayne. And that's how I've always viewed yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. We all wear, wear metaphorical masks, Dave. That's not what we're talking that's about. That's not a metaphorical. That's an no, actual I'm... mask. Oh, right. We all wear masks, you. Dave. We all wear masks. Um... <laughs> no, I, I, I just... My issue with Affleck is not him in the suit. It's him out of the suit. I don't see Bruce when I see him. I don't see a guy who's... This is going to be a really strange little string of sentences, but I don't see him as a guy whose parents have died. I don't see him as a guy who's been through a lot. I don't see him as a guy... And I'm not even talking about Affleck. I'm just talking about to look at Affleck. I don't see Bruce. And again, I I don't really care if he's the man in the Batman suit. 
he is for me is is it's who's playing Bruce Wayne, mm. and um, I just don't I just don't see it. He's going to be in a mask. Uh, Cavill Henry Cavill is going to yeah. be you know no mask. So you've got kind of I, I'm not sure how they're laying the story out. And you've got to remember, but you know I come from the school of comic fan. He's 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 a young Superman and a young Batman. And they're they're meeting youngish. Affleck's not. I didn't say he's not. Dude, he's pushing forty, if not past forty. Yeah, but Hollywood, the, Hollywood, yeah, but Hollywood forty, mate. That money keeps you looking younger. Like regard, regardless, you know, you 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 have the best of everything. You're going to look healthy and young. Mm. But that, that's not my issue. Forty one. Ben Ben Affleck's forty one. So. And he and he looks better than I bloody do. And he's you know um he's he's gonna he's gonna do well begrudgingly it's not going to change because he's signed on as producer so it doesn't matter we don't have a choice the fans don't actually have a choice at the end of the day someone was like sign my petition to get Affleck off the film I was like it's not your choice they don't give a shit about you it's not your choice it's the studio and mm. ultimately his choice I don't mean that in a horrible way but the comic book fan dollar is never going to be as much as as the family dollar and that's you know at the end of the day they're, they're expecting two or three people to go at a time to this movie, and it, they are going to get the comic book fans in out of morbid curiosity. But that's not who this film is for. This is, no, this of is course a film not, for because that, that's the whole point: is that this film is not is not Batman. It's Batman versus Superman, or whatever they choose to call it. But it, it, this isn't the definitive, right? This is all you've got because there's 17 different comic books you can read. There's games you can play. There's, you know, there's Batman on multiple levels. This will be the face of Batman, which is why people are getting annoyed because they're like, oh, well, Ben Affleck can't be the face of Batman. It can't be. Yeah, why not? Why not? George Clooney's done it. He was dreadful, but he's done it. Val Kilmer's done Even it. Even Clooney looks like Bruce slightly. As no, without he doesn't. He was the worst Batman of all time. I would choose Ben Affleck over Clooney any day, mate. I'm, I, I can't. I can't give an honest opinion on that, and I'll tell you why. Because Batman mm. and Robin is so fucking terrible. I only watched it once in my life. I've, I've just, I've just bought that bad boy on Blu-ray, and you I gave watched, it money. I paid four pounds. And I bought that on Blu-ray and watched it in HD. Uh, and not, no, 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 is, no product placement. You beep out. It is completely wonderful as a film because it's so bad. It's like watching a pantomime rather than watching an actual Batman film. It's just, it, it, it's so bad. Yeah, and it's annoying that it gets lumped together in those collector sets where you've got all of the four original, original quote unquote, Batman films and, you put the two really great Tim Burton films, which at the time we thought, oh God, they're so dark, they're so brilliant, and I remember being so excited about them. And and now we look back at them and they're a little bit campy and rubbish. But um, at, with those other two, because Batman Forever was god awful. I still think I still think Batman eighty eight was one of the darkest ones. The original was still for me. It's got like I think it's because it was of the time, but it's got a kind of creepy dark eighties atmosphere for me. Whereas Batman Forever has a neon-coloured 90s memory for me. So I love them both. Batman and Robin, I think maybe came at a time in my life where um, <laughs> I just lo- started losing interest in, in those kind of movies maybe. But, like, I, I love the first three Batmans. Batman, Batman Returns and Batman Forever, are, like, for me, are the Batman movies. 
Still. I think, I think for me, Forever was interesting at the time because I was a Jim Carrey fan. Because yeah. obviously I was like 14 or whatever and thought he was hilarious talking out of his butt in Ace Ventura. But um, it was the fact that it was him He's... and Tommy Lee Jones. And like Tommy Lee Jones, looking back on it now, in retrospect, you can kind of say, oh, yeah, he's just doing an impression of Jack Nicholson in the first one. But if you watch, and I hate to say it, if you watch the first Tim Burton Batman, it does not stand up at all. It, it really doesn't. But that's because I've been conditioned to now think of my Batman in the Nolan universe of big budget. And I, I know what you're going to say. I don't know where we're going to go next. Yeah, yeah, you do know where we're going with this. I all, all three of those films that he made, absolutely brilliant. For me, each one was a watch once and never bother again. <laughs> I have never. I have seen all three once. I... I don't want to own them. I don't want to rush out and buy them. Batman Begins was was fine. Mm. I thought it's a reboot. They're doing the whole mythos thing. It's a new thing. Let's try it out. It was fine. Dark Knight. I was so put off by everyone banging on about the Joker, um, you know, Heath Ledger's performance, that I had to see it for myself. And I, at least in my mind, I was right. I found Heath Ledger's Joker to be very boring. I, I thought... I thought if he was if he called the character anything but the Joker and it was a different villain it would have worked but for mm. me that's not the Joker the, the the kind of the kind of fear that he was trying to bring about with his performance was not Joker esque to me um, I love I love the 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 sadistic hilarious laughing genuine you know you like the anarchic jo- thing oh, I love the anarchic yeah. thing like that is the Joker to me and there's this mumbling lisping kind of weird and i was like but that i was like for god's sake throw a pie a poison acid pie but throw a pie for god's sake like right. be funny like yeah, yeah, yeah um and i did like dark knight uh, rises but again uh, it, they they were like let's let's just finish the story in the last 10 minutes let's get it all out come on guys you know, let's get the whole thing done in 10 minutes at the end like that's how i felt they really rushed the ending all three films are fine just not like not something I'd be wanting to go back through by choice. Like if Batman Begins is on at Christmas, I'll yeah, happily watch along. But yeah, I'm not really interested apart mm. from that. Yeah, for, for me, the, the first one was was an art house movie with a massive budget, and it was good and it was great, and uh, I enjoyed it when I watched it. But I must admit, like you, I've only watched it once or twice, and then I've never really gone back to it. But I, the, the middle film for me, Ledger Joker, is just brilliant and. That's that's all I want. I could have done without Two Face in it. Didn't need to have that. Didn't need to be oh. part of it. Completely Actually, wasted. I it. did think that was good, and I also thought that was the best special effect that they had in the entire series. Was the makeup for Two Face? Um, I I should have touched on that because that I thought that his Two Face, quite possibly the best villain I've ever seen in any of the Batman movies. And I know it was only a short time, but it was so genuine and the, the look was so authentic. That I, I really I I popped big, like I know it was such a small part, but mm. I really thought the Two Face. I thought they had done that fantastically well. I think yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the the effects and stuff were great, and he looked a good like a good villain. And it, you know, he's, I can't deny Aaron Eckhart is a, a is an amazing actor, but. For me, I thought that that needed to be stretched over to another film and he could have been a bigger villain and, you know, he was enough to sustain a film. 
he didn't need to be some second fiddle to the Joker who, as you say, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. He's not the traditional pie in the face, like squirty flower Joker. He's like some sort of heroin addict, as Mark Hamill said, you know, the Heath Ledger Joker is like some sort of addict and he's got to, you know, um, try and be the bad guy in the way that he does it. Uh, but I, I like the way he did it. I, I love the performance like everyone else, you know, I think it's it's tainted in the same way that, you know, Brandon Lee with The Crow and that kind of thing is like, all oh, right, yeah, well, he didn't survive the film and we all saw it after he died. And it's got that kind of thing behind it, which has become a bit of a bigger mythos than um, than, the, than the Batman mythos itself. But I, I think genuinely, I, I can't fault him. I, thought, I genuinely thought it was a great performance. I thought he took it a different strain he couldn't do the jack nicholson thing of playing jack nicholson he couldn't do the caesar romero thing of being the whole campy thing no i'm not going to shave off my mustache because i'm too important i'm just going to put some makeup over the top of it but i thought he genuinely made a different joker and i thought that was a good thing agreed So a couple of weeks ago, uh, when we were chit-chatting away, uh, before we even recorded the first episode, uh, Boo and I were chatting and the subject of zombies came up. Um, and I, I know nothing about zombies whatsoever, which led to this little gem. Zombies have been done to death, but you haven't seen the zombie film that is like the best one. Absolutely. It's like my, my zombie knowledge comes from list, listening to um, Kevin Smith talking about zombies occasionally about The Walking Dead. And I've seen the first series of The Walking Dead and I've read the comic books. That's that's about it, really. I played Dead Rising and that's it. I don't I don't understand where that comes from. It took me 30 years to watch The Evil Dead. You know, so I've only, I've literally, I've avoided horror movies for the, my entire life. To be fair, that is the best film with tree rape in it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I did see a director's cut of Notting Hill, and <laughs> <laughs> no one writes a tree rape scene like Richard <laughs> Curtis. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm terribly befuddled, but uh, would you oh, mind getting that brass out of my bottom? <laughs> <laughs> So that made me think, right, so I want to know about zombies, uh, I want a definitive guide, and Boo the Mont seems to be the man. He knows what he's talking about. So here we present what we like to call Boo the Mont's Guide to Zombies. They'll eat your brains. I mean, Dave, for me, being a fan of zombies at the moment is like being a traditional hipster. I liked zombies before they were cool, okay? Um, I was introduced to zombie films, I think I was 11 or 12, and I caught uh, a film which to this day has not been beaten, and that is Dawn of the Dead, 1978, George A. Romero's classic. This is the one set in the mall. This is the one that Dead Rising copied. This is the one that everybody strives to be like. This is the original mall zombie film. Um, Unbelievable movie. To this day, the only zombie film my grandma will watch, because most people think of it as a film, there are just so many messages in this movie, consumerism, war, I mean, it's just a brilliant, brilliant film. Um, I, you can barely call it a horror film. It is a horror film, it is all-out horror, but there's just so much surrounding it. So, I mean, n- number one on your list will always and should be Dawn of the Dead. Absolutely. Um, and, I mean, 
these days, um, most people will be more familiar with Shaun of the Dead, and of course Simon Pegg's magnum opus zombie rom-com. The cream of British comedy to come together to create the first real zombie comedy. Um, Absolutely fantastic film, an essential zombie movie. An absolutely essential zombie movie. Um, I mean, again, if I had to pick another one, after that would be the original Night of the Living Dead. Now, George A. Romero, um, you know, this was filmed by a community. It was made in black and white, and it was mm-hmm. the, it laid the foundations and the rules for every other zombie film that followed it. Um, and I mean, it can go from the. I mean, those are the traditional zombie films. I mean, there are more obscure ones like Della Morte, Della Moore. Uh, that came out in 1994 with a young Brendan Fraser. It's about a graveyard keeper, but his actual job is to keep the zo- uh, is to keep the dead in their graves. Absolutely fantastic film. That's Della Morte, Della Moore. Um, my accent's perfect, I know. Uh, across the world, um, the, the Japanese have done zombie films. There's films like Versus, uh, which is set in a haunted forest, which is absolutely fantastic, and Bio Zombie which, um, I, again, is set in a mall that is a setting for the zombies. Uh, for, for us normal British folks, that's a shopping centre uh, as opposed to the mall. Um, going back to the class... I mean, this isn't even a classic. This is an early film of Lord of the Rings and King Kong's Peter Jackson. He made Braindead, um, which is an absolutely fantastic film, which, again, counts as a zombie film and has the immortal line, I kick ass for the Lord. Um... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, World War Z was a fantastic film um, for different reasons. This is the Hollywood blockbuster zombie film, and I'm not talking like 28 Days Later, I'm not talking like any of these high-end ones. This is the budget uh, zombie film. Uh, it's at cinemas at the moment. I think it's coming out on DVD very soon. I do recommend it um, because I think it is the last big zombie film. I don't feel like this is the beginning of a new era for zombie films. I feel that this is the end zombie films the market is oversaturated and it's coming to an end um, and I'm kind of glad because it means I can stick with my little favourite thing and the people that are still fans of The Walking Dead will have that but I mean in terms of film genre I think zombies are done um, so you're coming in at the tail end and um, and I did find one for you Dave as a, mm-hmm. as a fan of comedy yes. um, there is a zombie film called Fido which stars Billy Connolly uh, and it's about <laughs> It is about a boy and his pet zombie, Fido. Yes. Uh, I believe it's set in the 1950s. I'm aware of this film. Um, these films are great. Um, the, it has been done to death, excuse the pun, and I don't believe it is coming back for another chomp on the brain. So, um, <laughs> zombie films, um, those are my top zombie films. I didn't mention Reanimator, I should have, it's fantastic. Um, I shouldn't have mentioned Blues Brothers 2000 because that's got a zombie bit in it, but who the hell cares? It wasn't Blues Brothers. Um, so, yeah, those are my uh, my top picks for zombie film recommendations, Dave, and uh, I hope you have a quick look through that list at some point and, um, and kind of catch up on the genre you've missed out on, I, I feel. So what's your record? Uh, is he right? Are those the best zombie things I can be watching? Is it the best zombie things I can be reading? Give us your suggestions and we'll have a bit of a face-off. I want to get Boulamont challenged on what he thinks is the greatest zombie stuff going around and I don't want to waste my time. So get on board. It's on the Twitter at TeakTugger or you can get on Facebook forward slash milking it and give us your opinion. Let me know and in future shows hopefully we'll have some special guests on to challenge Boo in his zombie knowledge. They'll eat your brains.
And that's all from us at the Milking It podcast this week. I'd like to thank Dino Peppers at 8oClockComics.com for his continued support. Um, and, my co- and my co-host, Mr. David Davis, thank you very much. Indeed, thank you. Uh, thank you for listening to episode two. And episode three coming very soon. We'll be discussing exciting things like the wonderful world of Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> you want to milk it and you know. You've got to milk it and you know.